This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Hey, Village Church. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. And Pastor Michael, before we get into this question, we've got some great news for our listeners. Super duper excited. Uh, Next week, we are having our new worship pastor come on staff at the Village Church. We're so excited. Very much so. His name is Matt Young and um, love, love, love this guy. And uh, Tim, as you know, every church culture is is. Uh, you know, it's unique. It's unique um, and, because uh, it's a family. Because it's a family, you know, and every family's got its special like needs. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, but uh, to find somebody who just gets culture, it's yeah. rare. You know, with most with most staff. There's a, a, a period of learning culture, and that's great. Sure. That's normal. And every once in a while, somebody comes in, and it's like they were born and bred there. And, and I got to just say, like, um, Matt is just, an, A, an amazing worship leader, but I love his teachability and his humility. And uh, so a couple cool things for Village Church. I mean, I know this. They purchased a house. It's right on the edge of uh, Bartlett and Hanover Park. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so they're going to be coming on staff. I think August 28th is the first Sunday he'll be around. They're yes. not leading worship until mm-hmm. – um, the second Sunday of September, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so super excited about him. And so Bill's church, if you get a chance and you see this guy and his family around, I want to just encourage love you, love him to death, encourage him. And, um, so I want to just take one moment and rant. Is that okay? Okay. Cool? Go All ahead. Right, good. Well, two things I want to rant about. Number one is my personal experience at village church has been one of the most healing, redemptive, enjoyable experiences to the point when like the last couple of weeks I was gone and I just found myself, we we're at another church and, and it's a great church, uh, you know, church I grew up in and, um, but I just wanted to be back at village, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, my hope is that when our, when we have staff come on here, that their time at village could be one of the most enjoyable, life-changing, That's right. um, just joyful experiences. When you immerse yourself into this community, it loves its pastors, which is yeah. one of the things I just, I have so appreciated. And so um, I just felt, I mean, I've been here since 2003 and they say that pastors have like a honeymoon period. And then all of a sudden the church like jumps on them and kills them or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been here for 13 years and it has been um, one of the most genuinely enjoyable relationships, um, especially since I've been the lead pastor. And I get really, I told Matt when we were in the hiring process, I looked at him and I said, Matt, if you get this job, I'm excited for you. Like I obviously, if we hire you, I'm going to be excited that you're here, but just personally, the fact that you get to jump into this community and be a part of it um, is going to be life changing for you if you will jump into the community, which um, I already know he will. Yeah, he will. Yep. So he and Amanda will jump in. Yes. So I'm just so excited. So they're they'll be moving in, I believe, at the end of September or the mid mid September. So um, they have some time before the house close before they close in the house. And but everything looks like it's an all go. And uh, so pray for Matt. Encourage Matt. He's got two kids, Micah and Calvin. And uh, great little Calvin kids. should give you a little bit of insight into Matt's theological leanings. <laughs> and uh, when we hired the guy, we actually we said we wanted somebody who is probably no no older than 30 for this position, um, somebody who had a theology background and degree, somebody who yep. led worship in some larger churches, somebody who wanted to be in a smaller church, and uh, somebody who had uh, more experience. Um, so I, I, everything we wanted, we got. It yeah. was just amazing. So um, God has been really gracious, and uh, so that's that's that. And uh, I forget what my second rant is, so I guess we should answer the question. And <laughs> go <laughs> Well, before it. we get there, I just want to yeah. say ditto. Everything you've said, I've been at Village Church now, 
about 18 months. That's crazy. It's you know, been that about long. 18 That's months. so cool. Has, you know, it, and it, it has, it is still, you know, Renee and I, my wife and I walk in the village church and we pinch ourselves and think, wow, are we really here? Is this really our church? You know, and you know, the people at Village are so loving, so kind. We're we're all broken people. We're not perfect. <laughs> I, I want to be clear about that. We know that. Preach. But but you know, a couple of weeks ago, well, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I preached and I was sick as I could be, had no clue what was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and people came up to me and said, you know, I love your message. And it's like, well, I'm glad you did because I have no idea what I said. Yeah. But they are that way, just generous. In, in overflowing ways, yeah. in words of kindness, in demonstrating their love and their yeah. appreciation to their pastors and to each other. Yeah. It, Village Church is a very healthy church. Mm. It's You know, it's funny, Tim, is if it wasn't good, they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't tell you. That's right. They love <laughs> be, you so much. Here's they, the, they would, they would but, say, thanks for that. Thanks for that. But, Appreciate uh, it. <laughs> we'll move right along. <laughs> So, uh, all right, let's get to our question for today. <laughs> I believe the Bible has contradictions, and I'm a Christian. What do we tell yeah. people that might feel that way? Yeah, the, que- the question goes on, says, does a person have to believe the Bible is inerrant in order to be saved? So maybe we need to parse out, what does that word inerrant mean? Yeah, so punt, Tim, go for it. Um, I mean, I know what it means, but I'd love to, yeah. I'd like to hear how people articulate it. So inerrant means without error. Good. Without contradiction <laughs> is yep. the simplest way of des- describing what You're this hired. means. <laughs> <laughs> so there are people that feel that the Bible has errors in it. Mm-hmm. Some of them, uh, depending on where the person is at in the spectrum, they might say, well, there is a discrepancy in this particular passage because yep. it says something different in another particular passage yep. in another place in the Bible. And then there are the people that go all the way to the other extreme on the spectrum and say, no, the Bible is flat wrong yeah. in certain places. And that's where I love um, the concept of inerrancy is the Bible is without error. And here's where there are some, we'll just say nuances to it that I think that are helpful. Yeah. It is inerrant in the, in the original, original manuscripts, manuscripts, which is so pivotal because what it tells you is- yeah. are not perfect. Correct. And I mean, anytime you translate from one language to another, from Aramaic or Hebrew or mm-hmm. Koine Greek to English or any other language, you're going to have some some measure of something that is lost. But yes. yet, God um, has clearly in Scripture intended that the Word of God would be written in these languages, but translated into other That's languages. Right. Hence, the Apostle Paul would uh, translate the Hebrew Bible into Koine Greek. That's yes. the first translation. And and God believed that the message clearly transcended um, interpretation and language and translation. And, and we see this in the New Testament. Yep. You mentioned the Apostle Paul, but many of the apostles, many of the writers of the New Testament quote the Old Testament, not from the original Hebrew, yep. but typically from the Septuagint, which yep. is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Yep. So God is in favor of translations. Yes. Uh, he has no issues with translations. But we just need to understand that what is inspired is the moment that that man sat down a thousand, thousands of years ago and wrote that particular book in that moment. 
And what we have tried, what, what the Christian and Jewish traditions have been a part of is a meticulous tradition of translation accuracy. Yeah, trying and to stay as accurate as possible to the original meaning of those words. The science behind this is incredible. We have some past episodes on this that will deal with that. We don't need to go into that now, but we'll just say the science is unbelievable. And with almost certain accuracy, we know what the original manuscripts That's have right. said, particularly of the New Testament. But uh, inerrancy, people take issue with a couple of things, contradictions, like you said, mm-hmm. they take issue with, um, uh, we'll just say genre specific literature. Um, like there's this saying that goes around, should I read the Bible literally? We say, no, you should read it liter- literarily, you know, yes. like in terms of the liter- literary genre. Right. Um, and so every, every book needs to be understood in light of a genre, et cetera. So many misunderstandings happen because you have 21st century Western Americans trying to understand the way. Um, Jewish history 4,000 years ago was written in the values they have. Or, for example, um, we have an incredibly high value on linear accuracy. So, mm-hmm. like, timelines need to be directly in order, and the gospel writers don't have that same value. They have a degree of value for yes. it, but not like we do. They'll clump stories together, not yep. intending them to be in sequential order, but they will clump them together in um, topical order, if you will. And yes. And so people get their brains all wrapped up because they they have a hard time putting themselves into the value system of the original authors, which is why, you know, as teachers, as Bible teachers, we get to come in and say, here's what was important to them. Here's why right. a gospel biography is different than a, than a biography written on Patton or Hitler. Or yes. something. We, they, they're very different genres written from different value systems and different approaches. So um, and then you have this just issue of, no, I don't believe it's God's word. Now, here's my question for this person. If you don't believe the Bible is inerrant, then you can't trust really any of it. Right. And, and I know Th- that, that is, is so true. To some people, that might feel like an extreme position, but um, it's either all or nothing. And just very simply, why do you, person who's asking the question, get to pick and choose what you believe and don't believe in? And that's really where you start opening Pandora's box. Because yeah. if you say... I believe this part of the Bible is true, but these particular stories or these particular verses are untrue. Yep. Therefore, the reader, the person who may be asking this question or those that would buy into this kind of thinking, they become judge over God's word. There are a couple of, I think, principles of, we'll just say contradictions in scripture. Um, number one is most, most, I'm saying almost, almost all, 90%, of the people who bring contradictions to me, it's a basic, simple misunderstanding sure. of how to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, another aspect of it is is that sometimes people don't have. Uh, there's, there's a little voice inside of us. It's called sin, that like wants to put the Bible on trial instead of letting the Bible put us on trial, which is the way it should be. Right, and what they don't, what they they stop using the full extent of their logic. Because you'll have like one circumstance. The gospels are great at this. You'll have one event, but it's told from four or three or two different perspectives. And the storytellers are sitting in different seats with different relationships and different lenses and different motivations for writing and different outcomes for which they tell the story. And uh, it's it's very plausible. I mean, between me and you, our producer Dan and Craig Jarvis, who's about to walk into the studio if he's not here already, all four of us could describe this event and we would describe it in completely different frameworks and words and ideas and and we might be communicating to different audiences and so sometimes i think honestly that readers of scripture put the bible on trial um, but don't use the full extent of their logic to see could this actually plausibly be true and i've i've yet to find something that is not plausibly true 
given understood in its right context. Now you could say to me, you're a pastor. You have to say that. No, like I didn't need to be a pastor. Um, I've spent a lot of time trying to study these discrepancies and make sure that I'm not just being a buffoon and easily, you know, deceived. Um, but that being said, I think there are the one place where I think it makes most people uncomfortable. And if you were to say to me, Michael, where are you the most uncomfortable? It is in the way old Testament numbers, um, not the book numbers, but just Mm -hmm. numbers are translated. Sure. Um, because oftentimes it feels like there are contradictory numbers and unfortunately numerical systems and who's translating and interpreting, writing the books, whatever, are all so like whatever. And there's different numerical systems that different cultures use and different organizations, the systems and which one are they using? And, and that's the part to me that I think is hands down the most confusing. And if there's one thing that I would tell people is, is don't get lost on how many people were in a war. Yeah, because different books and authors are counting the numbers differently, differently. based on who's in the field, based yes. on the men and women, based on which country they're coming from, based mm-hmm. on whatever. So, and then you'll have records from like Assyrian records that will that will say the war had this many people, and then the Jewish records will say the war has this many people. Well, um, let's just put it this way: um, every culture in war. Um, biographies, if you will, are prone to lie and exaggerate, you yeah, know? Right. Um, but our our hope is that when you read the scriptures, you'll find that they're not trying to build um, a look how awesome Israel is. They're actually telling their weaknesses and their mm-hmm. failures. They right. actually seem to be bringing you into the most transparent parts of it. So as we talk about inerrancy, I would just say big picture, um, m- I, I have not struggled with this, and I have taught from Old Testament to New Testament. I know you have too. I struggled with it inter- initially trying to answer these questions, um, but almost all all accusations um, can easily be disproven without too much of a stretch. Yeah, and I'm going to give you an example of that here in just a second. But you know, the the strange thing is that we in 21st century. America, mm-hmm. we understand nuances of language. We understand linguistic tools. We yep. understand all those things. And yet when we read the Bible, then we all those things that we understand of common conversation, yep. we throw those away and say, no, this can't be true because, yep. and I'll give you an example of this. In Acts 7, 6, uh, the writer is talking about the Exodus period. How many years were the Hebrews in Egypt? Mm -hmm. And the writer says that they were slaves and they were mistreated for 400 years. And so, okay, there's 400 years. Then Paul talks about in in Galatians 3.17, he says that it was 430 years. Mm -hmm. And the person will, when, when when someone is reading that, they're gonna say, see, there's a 30-year discrepancy. One writer says 400, the other mm. one says 430. See, the Bible's wrong. And yet we do that all the time yep. where we round things off. When we say yep. our country, the United States, has been around 200 years. Well, we know it's not exactly 200 years, but yep. we will round it off to about 200 years. And if we were to get real precise, we know how many years it actually yep. was and therefore... And yet we we push that kind of restriction on the Bible and say those writers can't do what we, what we do, do all the time every with good day. intentions. With good intentions. Yeah, and, you know? and they weren't trying to mislead anybody yep. by saying four hundred years. Yeah, when they say there was there was a million soldiers. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, people. And so I appreciate people who can look at the language of the Bible and understand, hey, they 
are human beings that use language just like we do. Just because it is a different language than English, they still have the same tools and the same approach as we do. So let's go back to the question. Yeah, let's get back to the question. Does a person have to believe the Bible is inerrant in order to be saved? Are you asking me? I don't know. (laughs) I would say no. And I'm going to say that, but. Okay. This is a big but or a little but? This is a big but. Big, big, big one. What you have to believe to become a Christian is that you have to know that you are a sinner. And you have to understand what sin is. Sin separates you from God. Sin is not just doing something bad. It's something that separates you from God that the Bible clearly says, these things are wrong. These things go against God's standard. The second thing is you got to understand that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Sin has to be punished. Mm. Somebody has to take that payment for that sin and that separating you. Somebody has to redeem you. Someone has to fill the gap to bring you back to God. Jesus is the one who did that. So if you embrace Jesus as the one who died for your sins, as your Savior, then you are a part of God's family. The Bible is clear about that. Now, here's the problem. That part, everything I just said, is clearly taught literally in the Bible. Yep. So if you don't believe that part of the Bible, you cannot become a Christian. True. Now, do you have to believe every portion of the Bible is literal to be a Christian? You're getting on a slippery slope. Yeah. Can I poke here? Yeah. Um, tell me if you agree with this statement. Sure. Um, okay. So I become a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know anything about the Bible, but I'm going to trust in Jesus. So I don't, I don't necessarily need you to understand the doctrine of inerrancy right away. Correct. But what I do believe is that if you truly are saved and you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will testify um, yes. with your spirit, not just about the truth of Jesus, but the truth of the apostles and of the Word of God. That's so true. And He will build that confidence in you. Let me give you an analogy. Um, so. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, you should know what we believe on this. But like, um, so one of the things that the Bible, you know, teaches is that homosexuality is a sin. Okay, well, does a homosexuality need to repent of that before they come to Jesus? No. no. Um, what they need to do is come to Jesus, and then God will start to deal with not just that, I'm, uh, every, every aspect part of, of your life. life. Yeah, everything. You know. And so here's my expectation. My expectation is that if you come to Jesus Christ, whether you're a heterosexual adulterer, whether you're a homosexual adulterer, whatever it is, I mean, whatever your sin is, you're a liar, you're a thief, whatever, that I don't need you to repent of that before Before. you come to Jesus. But here's what I do expect. I expect that Jesus is going to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convict you and testify in your spirit to what is truth and what is sin, and you're going to... Be, you're going to believe what is true eventually. Right. So I want to give a lot of grace to people who are coming to faith right off the bat, who are maybe newer believers. And I just want to say, if the Holy Spirit is in you, eventually God's going to convict you. That's right. The Holy Spirit is going to work in your heart to bring you to the point where you trust God's word, yep. that he is not a liar. He is a truth teller. Yep. And ultimately, here's what it comes down to. If you accept Jesus as your savior and God is his father, and the Bible is God's word, you have to come to the point where you trust God's word Mm. because of his character. He loves us too much to lie to us, Mm. to give us a word that is false. He loves us so much that he wants us to know who he is and what he has done in the past 
so we can trust him for today and for tomorrow. So let's say I'm the person who is listening and I don't know what I want to do with, uh, I'm not a Christian, I'm thinking about it. I don't believe in the Bible, but I'm, I'm considering trusting in Jesus. Can I do that and become a real Christian? Yes. Yes. I'll close with a story. Um, way back in the day, I went to Michigan State University and you know I was a Christian, but I had a lot of idols in my life and they were very apparent. And so I went into my room, my dorm room, and I put up posters of all of these bands and uh, none of them bring any glory to Jesus in any way, shape or form. But I thought I was awesome because they were sweet posters, and sure. whatever, you know, so um, look at me. I like this music. And so this guy named Scott, he was a sophomore and uh, he came into my room as the first week of school and he looks around, he knew I was a Christian. And he said, by the end of this year, every one of these will be in the trash. Oh, and I said, Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, here, here's what Scott was very smart and here's what he knew. He knew the Holy spirit would not permit me, yes. especially in that hostile of a culture mm-hmm. to love these idols. He knew that the Holy spirit was going to dismantle them. And by the end of the year, they were all in the trash. And I don't have them anymore. It was right. crazy. It was so, it was like a prophetic word. And, uh, and that confidence that he didn't need me to be anywhere other than where I was in that moment, but he just kind of gave me this word of like, God's going to be working on you, mm-hmm. you know? And that same kind of confidence is what I would have. If you come to Jesus Christ, I can't, I'm not going to demand you of repenting of every single known sin, because honestly, like some of these things, it's going to take some time, you yeah, know, right. and I'm okay with the time. I'm, I'm okay mm-hmm. with the process. That's right. I just need to know that you're moving and you're continually in an attitude that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to submit my life under the authority of his word. And uh, even if you struggle with this statement, like, uh, with the authority of his word, I'm just going to trust even that I'm going to submit my life to Jesus and whatever he says I'm going to do. That's you know? right. And I, I trust the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to bring conviction to the truth of the authority, the inerrancy, the truthfulness, and the integrity of God's word. Listeners, please come back next time. And Michael's comment right there at the end is a great segue to our question for tomorrow. Can I be entertained by secular media? Join us next time.